This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. Five one day internationals, and then all of a sudden you're captain, and you're captaining you know, the best players in the country and guys who've played 100 games for England. The world is full of amazing people, and once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Humans. This one might be a little controversial today, as in the studio, I have an Australian-born England cricket captain, who's also the only international cricketer who ever competed in professional MMA fighting, and he's also a boxer. Cap number 143 for the England One Day side, Wisden Cricketer of the Year in 2003, Surrey Cricket Captain from 97 to 2003, where they won three county championships. He's been described as an aggressive batting and inventive medium pace all sorts. Life really imitates art sometimes. <laughs> He's coached 2020 cricket uh, as well as the England uh, for Afghanistan, as well as the England Lions, and currently with the Queensland Bulls. I had the pleasure of being with this bloke at the Oval when he, uh, they uncovered his portrait in the long room to be included in the Surrey Cricket Hall of Fame. These days, an assistant coach at Queensland Cricket, motivational and dinner speaker, MC, feature writer, lover of his family and friends, and lover of life. I'm proud to have known this bloke for a fair while now and call him a mate. The one and only Adam, holy smokes, holy oak. I was supposed to do that in like a ring announcer's voice, but I'm a bit shit. <laughs> Very at that good, stuff. mate. Very Sorry good. Sorry about that. How are you, buddy? <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, fantastic. Mate, Thanks for having me. I've been trying to get you in here for ages, so I'm so glad mm. you finally joined me because I know this topic that we're going to talk about today is your favourite topic because mm. we're going to talk about you. Oh, it is. Without hey? that, <laughs> no one knows me and likes loves me more. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always good. Uh. Hey, well, the first way I start these things is always, what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? Jeez, well, memories are uh, a tough one with me because it's so bad in general. Because you've been uh, hitting the head so yeah, many times? Or? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, oh... I reckon, I reckon it's like my mine's. I don't reckon mine would be as early as most people's. But I remember we, when we grew up, we lived in a caravan for a bit um, and travelled around. And was that in Ballarat or no? Um, we went in Europe. We um, in Europe. So okay. Um, so you don't so remember re- Australia much? I remember losing a football. No, I don't remember. Not bef- this was my. You asked me my first first memory. memory yeah. yeah, I do remember Australia. I just don't remember it before this. I remember yeah. someone. I got a football, like one of those plastic, and when I say football, I mean like a soccer ball. Yeah. And I got one of those and we were living in the caravan park, uh, park and someone, one of the other kids nicked it. So that's, my first memory is <laughs> not a particularly positive one. <laughs> How old were you? you reckon? Oh, I reckon I was, I, I want to say like seven, six, oh, or, really? six or seven. Is that, what is everyone else? How Usually old are they? three not? or four. Oh, well, God. <laughs> You're doing that, well. Finger on top. That fits, yeah, so that, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> so where were you born? Uh, I was born in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and then grew up everywhere. Um, Where'd you start? Um, oh, well, I can't remember, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, apparently, uh, I was born in rumor Melbourne. Has it. Rumor has yeah, that I was born in Melbourne. Um, and then we did a lot of travelling around Europe. And uh, when you were young. When we were young, mm-hmm. and then. So where was your first school? Uh, I, I re- well, I can't remember it, but it's called Glen Ferry Primary School uh, in Melbourne. Okay. Um, so I was there for a bit, and 
I, all the, a lot of these stories that I'll be telling be just things that have been told. People to have told you. Yeah, they could have told you anything. They could have told me anything. <laughs> I, From the age of three, I, you went I, to an all girls well, school. Well, I did actually <laughs> meet the Queen, apparently. Oh, uh, did you? At the age of six or seven, because my dad used to work away a lot. I um, they, they were trying to work out which kids got to meet the Queen, and... Uh, I told them that I didn't have a dad, so they all felt they all felt <laughs> felt sorry for me. And apparently, I bet you he was happy about that. Well, I don't think I just didn't know he was around. <laughs> just to, was still work. He was just working to pay for my school fees. At least. And you got yeah. to meet her. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, Is there so, photos? I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> this is gonna be great. Oh, God. Well, let's just stick after nine. I remember. I remember bits of it after then. <laughs> So, yeah. but rumour has it that you were born in, in Melbourne. Yes. You then moved overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went to Hong Kong. Was that after or before? Uh, no, that was after. That was about, I think I was about nine then. Okay. I remember bits of that. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. you, um, so you pretty much were schooled in the UK. Um, yeah, my secondary school was all in the UK, in apart the UK. from a couple of terms in Sydney. When I was about 14, we came back. So what did dad do? Dad's an engineer. Okay. Um, so he worked... In the 80s and 90s in um, in England on oil, the sort of North Sea. So he's designing oil rigs. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah, so... That's why you travelled so much as a kid? Yeah. As I, was, I, was, I know I'm an independent guy, but at the age of 12, I wasn't sort of ready to go out on my own just yet. So yeah, I cool. had to follow him around. <laughs> he was trying to lose me, I think, but, you know, just so you, You're the one of, one of three? That's right, yes. Yeah, so yeah. Um, obviously Ben and um, and your sister. Congratulations to your sister. Yeah. You just became a doctor. I know, Dr. Holyoke. That's, that's very exciting. Never yes. thought that had happened, did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a chance actually again because um, I've got three kids and um, my middle child just from nowhere is um, is basically a child genius, which oh, really? I have really no idea where that came from. <laughs> we got called into school to, um, I thought, oh, here we go because I was, basically expelled from school and yeah. um, my um, eldest child, daughter, she struggles at school. She's got ADHD, so uh, she didn't do so well there and always sort of needed extra help. And then um, we got called in and I thought, well, I thought this one was a good one, you know. <laughs> so we got called in and before <laughs> they had a chance to even start talking, I said, look, I, you know, I'd just like to explain that I struggled at school with my daughter <laughs> and I was making excuses before actually hit, knowing what I was in there for. And then they said, no, this is um, first term of grade one. He's finished his grade four work. Uh, we don't know what to do because we can't <laughs> put him up um, years because obviously can't have this little kid sitting in with all the elder kids because just you know, yeah, emotionally yeah, he's not up to it. But um, And then straight away I was thinking, well, hang on. I didn't do any good at work and my ex-wife i didn't marry her for her brains i yeah. married her because she was hot <laughs> so it was like and then i was thinking where i was at the time and i was like no no all my mates were dumb as well so, <laughs> sorry <laughs> i got no idea what happened there it must be the milkman i think the <laughs> <laughs> so boy genius young boy, Sheldon. yeah yeah literally so um so what they end up doing with him well well they just gave him the work and he just still continues to be ahead and Oh, wow. he, he got uh, um, involved in the STEM uh, curriculum, which yep. is separate to the normal curriculum here, which he started doing that, which is science, technology, engineering and maths, mm-hmm. which is uh, on top of his normal... Did you do any of those at school? I can't even spell them. <laughs> so, it's like, I don't so uh, he, um, yeah, he's flying. So I asked him the other day what he wanted to do and he said, oh, 
think I'd like to be a surgeon. So okay, cool. I thought, wow, that could another, be the second, second doctor, doctor in the family. Yeah, oh, unbelievable. Very nice. I've got my I've got my health sorted in my old age anyway. <laughs> get Free someone health. look after you. <laughs> yeah. So your um your brother and your sister and you and your your mum and dad you're travelling all around the world living sort of uh, in different parts of the world. Nomadically, yes. How did um. How'd you go with schooling and stuff? Do you reckon that's why you were disrupted during that time or that's just you? No, I'd like to be able to blame that, but um, I, I just, I don't know. I think probably if I'm being honest, probably one of my failings as a human is if I don't value something or don't have uh, a particular excited by it that I tend to not give it any effort or attention. And okay. that's probably something I could get better at, to be honest. Um, and I just... I just, if I'm honest, I just preferred sport. And I yeah. was like, I was looking out the classroom window at the sports fields and I just wasn't into it. And I'm pretty stubborn as well. You know, really? Uh, never you might, picked that. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, people, they, they do those, uh, those you know, they, those little things when you're playing, you know, professional sport. They'll ask, you know, what's your favourite colour? What's your favourite movie? If you're an animal, what would you be? Yeah. And, and most people are usually like, they choose something like, glamorous like a lion or a tiger because they're correct i was like i'll just be a donkey or a mule or something <laughs> equally as stubborn because i'm just stubborn as hell so um yeah oh fair enough yeah so i don't know i just and what about your brother and sister were they the same well no my sister's literally Obviously the, smart. The, the, yeah the complete opposite of um of me and my brother my brother was the same he was stubborn he, as well stubborn well i don't know if he, he, he i don't know about stubborn but he just didn't if it's something he didn't like something he just Gave it zero attention. Okay. And I think ultimately we're pretty, we're quite strong characters. So um, we could have teachers telling us how important it was or whatever. But unless you could actually persuade us that that was our thought, then we just, I'm not buying it. You know, I don't, I don't see. I remember saying from an early age, they were like, you've got to do this. You can't play sport all your life. And I was like, no, nah, I'm going to. Yeah. I'm going to play sport all my life. So um, who do you reckon you get off, mum or dad? Well, they're both pretty stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a mix I was, of both, I, I, I never thought of that and then just thought about it. I thought, no, nah, they're both really stubborn. Uh, <laughs> uh, my mum's a really strong woman. Uh, yeah. People think, because my dad was a good sportsman, that I think they think that we get our characteristics off him. But I think probably my personality is more like my mum's. Um, and I don't know. I'm not sure about my brother. He was sort of very relaxed, very laid-back guy. Mm -hmm. So... Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't. I haven't so really. when you, um, well, your dad was a good sportsman, a good yeah. athlete, was he? What, what did he play? Uh, he played. Uh, he played AFL for Melbourne in 1966. He was in that VFL back then, oh, as wow. it was. Yeah, he was in that side. Uh, yeah. In the 1966 side, um, and then he also played a little bit of um, junior representative cricket for Victoria as well. So okay. he was an all-round sportsman. So was he? Uh, were your parents like push you into sport as well? No, that's the, you know that's the one thing I'll say about my parents. You know. Um, I um, mean, we're both parents. We know how yeah. hard it is. Um, World's hardest job. Uh, well, hardest <laughs> job ever. Um, no, he, they never pushed me to do anything, anything. They've just they always encouraged just, you. Yeah, um, encouraged and facilitated, I reckon. They gave me the opportunity to um, do whatever I wanted. Okay. Other than fighting, they hated that. So they didn't, like uh, that. they didn't like that and they stopped me from doing that when I was young. Once, obviously, I got to being old enough to make my own decisions and... Then they, they supported it, but they yep. just didn't support it before whilst they were I was in their care. So I think, you know, they're, they're, they're good parents. 
So before we come on the podcast, we're talking about boxing, and you were saying mm. you're boxing at the age of twelve. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So what made you start that? Yeah, Mike Tyson. I oh, was really? Like literally, literally, uh, you know, I watched a bit of the boxing on TV, and I'd always kind of been intrigued by it. Um, but then that guy came along, and I started watching him, and I was like, Oh no, I want to do that. Yeah. I want to. I want to do what that guy's doing. So um, I was sneaking out from boarding school, and. Um, most people sneak out to go to the pub or meet their girlfriend <laughs> or whatever. I was sneaking out to go and fight men, so it was like stupid. Um, have you ever met him? Have you ever met Mike? Yeah, Tyson? I have. Yeah, yeah, a few times. Yeah. And what's uh, what's he like as a bloke? He's an amazing guy. Um, and what most people don't, well, most people think, oh, he's just an animal because that's the sort of uh, image he portrays, I yeah. guess. And people can only go on people's public persona. Your face tattoo is looking really good. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess if you go getting a tattoo on your face, you're... You've got to be going through some sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I look, he's had a hard upbringing, but he's also probably, I would say, probably one of the most perceptive and intelligent human beings I've ever met. Really? Which is probably surprises a few people. Um, but like really in tune with incredibly intuitive and and aware of the emotions that he's experiencing which yep. is and weirdly funnily enough i feel like our lives have, have followed similar paths i mean i've always he's obviously been a bit ahead of me and maybe yep. his roller coaster has been a bit bigger, <laughs> bigger and, yeah yeah i haven't bitten anyone's ear off recently <laughs> or you haven't bought a tiger recently and I've, I've, yeah. I've never had any tigers so um but i sort of i, f I feel like the highs and lows that he's experienced i, I feel it and then I've grained a lot of inspiration from the way he's dealt with it. I mean, if you see the guy he is now, he's very relaxed and yeah. at peace with himself. And he's managed to transform himself. I think um, he said one thing. He said, you gotta, you got to be like a, a chameleon. And one thing I'm, when I'm coaching now, so one of the things I always say to people is, uh, I, like, I like to quote, um, claim this quote as my own, but as soon as people hear it, they know it's not because it's way too smart. <laughs> but it's like... Um, it's it's not the smartest nor the most intelligent species that survive. It's the one most adaptable to change, and it's obviously Charles Darwin. Oh, true. So um, obviously, yeah, obviously. So, Adam Holyoke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I say I sign it off on my Facebook, <laughs> but um, it's and that's something which I've kind of embraced in recent years. I think because um, there's been times in my life when I've tried to change everything around me rather yeah. than just trying to adapt and evolve to my environment. So. And uh, that's what I try and do these days, really. Mate, it's it's really interesting because when now you say that you're a cricket coach now, and I remember mm. when we first met, um, one of your biggest hates in life was cricket at mm -hmm. that time. That's right. And it's it's funny how you adapt to where you are these days. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I remember I saw you a few years later, and it was like the love of cricket was back. Mm -hmm. I think that were your words to me. I was like, yeah. wow, how how does that happen? Like, yeah. so for someone that's played a sport all their life. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. when, when did you first grab the cricket ball? When did that happen? Um, yeah, I, I think I was sort of on and off. I mean, I was really quite late starting with organised um, yeah. organised cricket. cricket. Yeah, backyard I played from young. Yeah. Um, in caravan parks when we were staying there and stuff like that. But I think my first game of cricket was about 12 years old, which okay. I think is quite late. Yeah. Um, not late, late, but it's um, certainly it's not like some people who start right. playing games eight, nine yeah. years old or whatever. Um, and then, but then from there on, it was full on. So, so, did you know that day that you loved it? Was it a sport you loved like immediately, or was it something you had to grow into? Uh, I I've loved 
Every sport that I've played, I loved. I so just, it's more of a lover's sport uh, than the actual sport. Being outside and running yeah. around uh, and competing. I, I love competing. Like Literally, I'll compete with everything. You are everything. the most competitive human I've ever lived in my life. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm trying not to be, but it is hard. I, love comp- I just love the art of competing. Um, yeah. I just think it's just a, it's a fun. It's just really fun. Like I try and turn everything into, even with my coaching, I try and um, if you give we do fielding then guys like it but if i make it a competition between you know split the team in half then all of a sudden they love it yeah it makes so a big difference. everyone i think as humans we're like that but um i think maybe mine's just i just love it a bit more it's like my drug i've never you know i don't do drugs i've never done alcohol i don't gamble so i think competing for me is my drug it is yeah. my addiction so uh, for a while I it's not of, a bad addiction yeah it was better than the other not as expensive yeah. as the others <laughs> but it's um yeah, so I guess I just realised when I finished fighting that I wanted to be involved in competitive sport, mm-hmm. and um, you know I'm you know I'm nearly fifty now, so it's it's I can't do it. So yeah, I need to, if I want to be involved, I have to be a coach or yep. mentor or be involved in some other way. So that's when I realised that that's your I need yeah, that was my calling. The the end game. Yeah. So you obviously was a nomad for a long time as a young kid. And then you settled down at high school. Is that where you went, sort of, that's where you finally put your roots in the ground in England? Yeah, that was it. I was at St George's College in Weybridge in, in England, which is a private school in, in Surrey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was boarding? Boarding, yeah, yeah. boarding. Um, and Dad was still going around doing engineering jobs around the world. Yeah. Um, so where was Mum at this time? She, she in England? Well, sometimes she went with Dad, sometimes okay. she stayed in England. Yeah. Um, so, um, but he been bored with you as well. He boarded as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we went from being these sort of nomadic, growing up in some pretty and in, in always good. I mean, I'm I'm not making it out like we we grew up in a ghetto, but we grew up with some you know like well, caravan parks. Well, sometimes like caravan parks, yeah. and sometimes we you know we went to some state schools, and which is nothing wrong with state schools, but yep. but the, compared to where we ended up, yeah, yeah, in our secondary education, we ended up in a fairly well-to-do private school in england and, and that was like quite a culture shock and probably why i feel you and them yeah, yeah <laughs> probably more for them yeah i was like i remember going to the first day and they're like oh, hello old boy and i was like are these guys for real is this they, are they just putting this accent on so um yeah i yeah that's so I, I guess i've always constantly had to evolve wherever i go and and adapt to my environment uh, again like then so did you, from a sort of nationality point of view back then, did you associate yourself as an Australian kid or were you an English kid or what, what did you sort of, do you remember it all? From yeah, back I do. Sort of what, what I remember um, after nine is um, that wherever I was, I felt like an outsider. Okay. So when I was in England, I was Australian kid. Yeah. And when I was back in Australia, I was always that pommy kid. So okay. it's like, so I'd always... And, uh, you know, like you deal with it, you know. It's yeah. like I'm not complaining about it. I understand that that's how it is. But um, that's my memories is just always feeling like an outsider. And and I embraced it. I don't complain about it. I think it helped shape sort of the person I am. I'm pretty resilient. But did you class yourself as an English kid back then? Well, you know, when you're a young bloke, yeah, like yeah. I've always wanted to play any sport. Don't care mm-hmm. what it is for Australia. Right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I'm really proud of my country. Mm-hmm. Were you back then... Um, the same, like, were you okay? I'm really proud. I live in England. I'm going to represent my country. No, no probably that? at that age. I reckon when I was 12, I was Australia. I was thinking, yeah, I want to play for Australia. Um, 
And then obviously as I spent more time there and then I started getting into representative teams. Mm-hmm. I think in, at 15 then um, I went, I started playing like England schools rugby and England schools cricket and yeah. all that representative stuff. Uh, and then, you know, at least going for trials. And, and, so, and then it was around about then that I just started to feel, well, hang on, all, you know, I'm playing for England in sports yeah. here. And like Australia doesn't know I exist. Yeah. They don't know I exist. So um, what do I do? You know, hey, either way I go, I'm I'm the bad guy. Yeah. So if I, I mean, all through my uh, cricket career for England, I was always, ah, oh, this Australian guy's come over here and <laughs> he's playing for England and taking our play. I was like, hey, I was 12. I just, <laughs> well, you it's know, it funny because I remember that like mm. so vividly because I was in England at the time and um, – it was like, oh, these brothers couldn't make it for Australia. So yeah. they're actually, because that was obviously the Warney days. Yeah, of course. These brothers yeah. couldn't make it for Australia. So they come and played for England. But no mm. one actually knew that you grew up and you were. I think they did. Know. They did know, but they, they just. They, that yeah, part. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's nail on the head. They, yeah. they chose to. It makes a better story. Oh, of course it does. So, uh, and I'm cool with that. I don't, I don't try and correct people and. It's like that's the way it is. They're the cards you dealt, and you just it takes more energy, and more character. Don't worry about that yeah, shit. Yeah, exactly. Then to just go, yeah, that's that's true. I just came over at the age of twelve, knowing that I was going to captain England. Like, yeah. didn't even know what a professional <laughs> cricket was at that age. So, you just do it, and you and you and you just smile and say, yeah, and let people. Have so, their did fun. you finish high school? Did you finish year twelve? Yeah, or? yeah I finished year twelve. Yeah, yep. I actually did all right at school. Didn't do too badly. Um, I had a decision to make, which was um, to go on to university mm-hmm. um, or to um, go and play cricket. I'd already been a professional cricketer before I finished school. So how old were you when you first I played your first, professional match? I got my first contract when I was 16, so I still had another year or two years to go at school. So okay. I was paid to still be at school. I'm not, not, I'm not, it wasn't a lot, but, no, but still, yeah. it was uh, more than the five pounds a week pocket money I was getting from <laughs> mum and dad. So... Um, yeah, I just... Uh, that must have been a proud moment for your parents, though. Especially your dad as an ex-athlete as well. He's the sort of he's 16-year-old son and gets a professional contract. That must be pretty cool. Yeah, uh, he was pretty proud. But, you know, he's also... He's a really sensible guy. Probably... Well, mum and dad, are, you know, I hear a lot of people say who are the biggest influences in your career and they've always got, you know, these amazing people. Um, I'm not saying my parents aren't amazing. <laughs> they are amazing You led that one in wrong, didn't you? Yeah, I did. But... Uh, <laughs> But but mine, it's my, mine and my parents, they just gave me every opportunity to succeed. They, I feel like they gave me the right balance of, uh, I think they gave me a good education, but also had some hard growing up as in yeah. they, they made, you know, uh, you know, we used to get whooped pretty yeah, good. So, 100%. and we deserved it. And I think one, that's one of the characteristics of things of um, growing up, which gave me my resilience and, and I feel that they did a great job bringing me up. So, yeah. um, uh, they're the, the big, sole biggest influences in my life. Uh, they wanted me to go to uni. Um, that's probably the first. Do what? Just anything. They just wanted me to get a formal education, okay. uh, which, as this story goes on, you probably realise was would have been the correct decision to make. But um, um, at that time, I was done. I was cooked. With I was sick and tired of sitting in chain in classroom looking out the window. So especially when you're living there as well. That's got to that's got to have an effect on a kid, I reckon. When you're boarding in the same mm. school that you're actually going to school in. Mm. That's got to like you're there twenty four seven pretty much mm. for a long periods of time, aren't you? So does that have a good effect or a bad effect on? Well, I loved the boarding bit. I just <laughs> did, I just didn't like the classroom bit. <laughs> so uh, hanging out, I mean, hanging out with my mates. We had amazing sports. Like I said, it was a very good school that yeah. I went to. So we had incredible sports facilities. So it was like 
you know, when you're growing up, you try and get a game of football going out in the street and yeah, you're yeah. knocking on people's door and you can get like five people, odd numbers, like using shirts as goals and what have you. Like, well, we had like brilliant facilities. We had sports halls and all the equipment we could use. We had a full teams. We had, we do that every night, every yeah, day. After so it, so it was a like, it? it was great. The boarding was great. But unfortunately, they made us go to class. We sort of got in the <laughs> way of all the fun. And was it yeah. an all boys school? All boys, yeah. Until yeah. the sixth form and then the girls came along. Okay. Yeah. Was that a good idea or a bad idea? Well, it was a good idea for me. It was like, <laughs> not sure. I'll, I'll, let's just say it was good that I left, I think, because uh, and I, I was I was I sort of outgrew school pretty young, I feel. Yeah. And, um, well, that's also got to be at the age of 16 when you're hanging around men in a professional cricket team. That's right. Then you grow up real quick. Yeah. And how did they treat you? How did the athletes treat you? Like, you obviously, they're a lot older than you mm. or, um, when you're going into that change room for the first time. Yeah. Or did you find that sort of was there anyone in particular back then that sort of took it under their wing and looked after you? Yeah, well, um, Alex Stewart is probably the one that springs to mind. Um, he's like a really respected figure at Surrey, probably the most respected figure at Surrey. Um, he... Um, you know, him and his family have dedicated their whole lives to that club. They, yeah. I think, they, well, I don't think I know the pavilion's called the Mickey Stewart Pavilion and then the main gates, one of the main gates you go through is the Alex Stewart Gates. And they've been a part of that club for 50, 60 years. Wow. And, um, uh, and rightly so, the club reveres them and, and the way they carry themselves is... Uh, it's it's a credit to, to them and I guess... Alec took me, I think he saw something. We played a game of uh, soccer, which was probably the only sport that I never really did could play very well. <laughs> uh, and I remember at the time he might have been playing, just started playing for England and I was a young 16-year-old and I remember I just started like, I, he was a very good player. He could have played professional football as well. Oh, okay. So I was trying to get the ball off him. Obviously he was like dribbling around me and making a <laughs> fool of me. But I just started getting the look in my eye and I was like, I don't care who this guy is. I'm going to hack this guy to the ground. It's like, so I, I was turned to quite physical. And Alec, I mean, he's a good, you know, well-presented guy and he's an Englishman and everything like that. But underneath that is a cold-hearted, competitive, <laughs> like, dude as well. You can, you can have a fine, so put, well-spoken English. So the two of you together. Yeah, it was like, it was like two put, two, putting two bit balls together and we were just at each other. And I remember after that he... Um, I thought, oh my, afterwards, you know, when the red mist had cleared a little oh bit, dear, he came, what, have I done? what have I done? This guy's <laughs> like the, you know, the godfather of Surrey. And, and I remember he came up to me and he, he was like, you could see a little sparkle in his eye, like, we've got a good one here. Like this oh, guy, really? yeah, yeah, this guy's got, some, you know, he's competitive. And, yeah. and from that day on, he kind of, um, I always looked up to him for advice and um, followed his example a little bit. So, um uh, and we're different characters in a lot of ways, so I had to be careful not to become just a clone of his. But yep. uh, he's probably the, one of the guys who influenced me the most. Um, my father, another one, and then um, and then I had another mentor, sort of batting mentor, a guy called P old guy, crazy old guy, South African guy um, in Perth called Peter Carlstein, who played in the South African, the Proteas back in the late '40s. So um, they were the sort of three guys who yeah. probably influenced me the most. So at 16, did you make your first grade debut with Surrey? It wasn't first. Um, I, I started in the second team. And I, I had to play there for a while because of my Australian passport. I had to do a bit of qualifying. Okay. And I don't think I made my first class debut until I was 20 or 21. So okay. So you've been there for 
fairly for a while, yeah. And you're probably pr- playing pretty well then. I was going all right. Um, I had a few injuries as a, as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. cause I used to bowl fast, uh, like really fast. Um, and uh, my body broke a little bit, yeah, so I kept on getting back injuries and ankle injuries, and I had to go through all that. And then, and then probably around the same time that I qualified to actually play, then my strength came in and my body started being able to cope with what I was asking it to do. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, then things went good from there. And um, when did Ben join, sorry? So he joined, I think he was even younger. I don't know, he was like 15 or 16. He was like super So did young. they go, oh, actually, we've got Adam here. Let's bring his brother in so no one else gets him? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and that's sort of normal in professional yeah, sport. Like if you see... You know, it's like saying like with you, horses, a good bloodline. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> mate, yeah. And I think his bloodline was better than mine. He was like the same as me, but just, a bit, you know, three or four inches taller. Yeah. So, um, and he was obviously talented, like from, he didn't have to be a guru to realize his talent. You could see him play once, you're like, yeah, this kid's special. He's going to go right. He's special. With me, it was like, you needed to see me for a while because my sort of talent lied in my character and my, my competitiveness and my resilience. And that's not always immediately evident on first sight, but with him, it was just the way he moved and the sheer athleticism of him. Um, was immediately evident, so uh, hence why he was the youngest player to play for England. So, when did you make your England debut? Do you remember the day that you got the uh, the call up? How yeah. do they do it? Do they tap you on the shoulder? Do they, <laughs> do they make a phone call? Is it exciting? Well, it was. It, I can remember it vividly because I was in. Was uh, after nine? Was, yeah, <laughs> it's one of the only things I remember from then. Um, I was, we were in Nottingham, we were playing a game that I didn't even know they were, they were picking a team. Uh-huh. I was that far from my mind. I'm not saying that I hadn't... Are you a captain, sorry, at this time? Uh, no, I was just a player in okay. the sorry side. Uh, I might have captained a couple of games or yep. something like that. But um, um, I just had a message on my phone. Um, Hi, Adam, just ringing up to say that you're being picked to play for England. I was like, when's the game? <laughs> like, I didn't, it was like... It was surreal because I remember it was in the morning and then I had to, we were playing a game for Surrey against Nottingham and I had to go down to breakfast. Uh, all the other players were there and they didn't know, but you, you're sort of conscious not to, um, you know, gloat. to, to glow. Oh, I've just been picked to play for England. So I remember yeah. to go down and just be quiet about it. Were any of those boys in that same side? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alec was in that side and Graham Thorpe. Um, well, those two were in, in that particular series. And I went down there and... Alec looked over me and, like I said, he's, he knew. He knew, yeah. he knows everything. So uh, <laughs> he knew and he gave me a little wink and came up and shook my hand and congratulated me. So uh, that's, that's what I remember. It was that pretty – and that was – it was the weirdest feeling um, because, like I said, I wasn't expect. I didn't know there was a game even on. Yeah. I didn't, and then all, out of the blue, I got – And that was a one-day match? One-day match, yeah. yeah. It's a one-day series versus Pakistan. So um, – And how did you go? Yeah, I did all right, yeah. Um I didn't play in the first game, so I was made twelfth man. And then and is that frustrating? Um, not really. It was quite kind of good because you know, like I said, one minute I wasn't even knowing there yeah, was a game okay. on. Then it was quite nice to sit back and get a feel for international cricket. Yeah, you know, in the change room. And, and was it much warmth. different? Well, um, everyone's told you know the 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 jump between first class cricket and international cricket is enormous. So in my mind. That was the case. Yeah. So um, um, when I came out to I came out to bat, I was obviously a little bit nervous, and 
Uh, but I, I, I can't remember, I got nine or, or a dozen or something like that. And then when I came to bowl, that's the thing that was concerning me because my bowling was never that fast by the, by the stage. You're an inventive all sorts, it says on Wikipedia, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, Wikipedia knows all. So um, I came on to bowl and, and like I said, we are playing Pakistan and and I'd, I'd had some reasonable success at county cricket but not amazing success, it was yeah. a reasonable success. And then I ended up with four for 20. <laughs> and um, I was like, I was just bowling guys out. And I was like, I don't see what. And then the next game was the, the day, the next day or the day after. I can't remember the day off in between. But I got for another four wickets in the next game. And at that stage, I was thinking, wow, like maybe I've just improved heaps. Yeah. And, um, and then it came out about a couple of years later that those matches were fixed. <laughs> so and I was getting around for a couple of years thinking I was really good when really there was just a whole bunch of rich Pakistanis. Like <laughs> oh, bugger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> One of those things you don't want to hear. Yeah. So you then um, continued playing with Sari. When did Ben make his debut? Was that after you? Yeah, he was after. Um, he was six years younger than me. So, oh, okay. um he made his day. You've been playing for a while? Yeah, I've been playing for a while. So mm-hmm. it was, that was good because I was able to kind of give help him, him out. Yeah, a little help here and there. And I think obviously he was comfortable with me on the side. And a lot of the time when he was there, I was captain. So um, probably gave him a little bit of confidence to just yeah. relax and enjoy it. So he was the youngest ever cap for England. Yes. How old was he? Oh, I think he was 19. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And in England, they tend not to... Uh, his youngest one-day international player. Yeah. Um, I think he was the second youngest test player. Wow. So um, I don't know if that's still the case, but I, yeah. think, I think it is. Um, Pretty impressive, though. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then I think when they, he played, he made his debut in the third game in 97. So that was my fifth game or something like that. And um, I remember they asked me before that series, they said, you know, we're going to pick Ben. And I was like, what, my brother? <laughs> So I just, I just, I just remember thinking he's not ready for this at all. Yeah, yeah. Then I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's, you know, he just did really well for England under 19s. I said, well, England under 19s is one thing. Yeah, exactly. In my mind, and obviously, you, as your brother, you, you, you sort of, you want to protect him. Very protective. So there's one side of you that's like, ah, I didn't think he was ready. Mm. I'll be, if I'm honest, I didn't yeah. think he was ready. I was like, how was he going for sorry? Was he going all right? He's going all right. Mm-hmm. He's going all right. I mean, he showed talent. There's no doubt that was unquestionable. So they were picking him on talent. It wasn't on weight of runs or mm-hmm. anything like that. So mm, I was thinking, you know, he could go there and it was a big stage, you know, there's a bright lights up there. Who but was he, that against? Uh, that was against Australia. Okay. So, you know, extra. I was thinking there's a lot of, you know, people tend to get pretty excited about these England versus Australia yeah, fixtures yeah. and, you know, there's going to be full stadium and then a lot of media coverage and a young kid and he's only played a couple of games for Surrey. He's a teenager. And um, and then I said, oh, well, you know, he, you know I, I was my first feeling was he wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. And I still believe he wasn't ready at yeah. that stage. Um, but I was thinking, hey, you know, Anything can happen, so <laughs> you got four for ten. Well, yeah, well, no, as in, as in, hey, let's say he gets injured, yeah, yeah. next season and never plays again. At least you get a chance to play for England, then you don't turn it down. So he got there, but in my heart, I don't think he was ready. Um, and then we played the third one day international, and must be pretty cool playing for your country together with your brother. Oh, so cool! Hey. <laughs> like so cool. And we'd done it heaps of times in the backyard, but yeah, it was of actually <laughs> it was doing a bit different. Doing it at Lords, and they were, I remember they were and asking. Your mum and dad were there. Mum and dad came over. They flew yeah. over. My auntie flew over, and a few other people. And like it was, it was a pretty big thing for our family, obviously, to have two of us playing. 
at Lords. At Lords, yeah. <laughs> he'd, he'd never been to Lords before, so wow. he, he, you know, like I said, he'd only played a handful of games for Surrey, so he never he didn't know how to get out onto the pitch. So <laughs> when you're at Lords, it's like most most grounds, you're like it's straight out the change room, straight down the stairs out yep. onto the pitch. At Lords, you've got a little bit of a Walk through walk. the crowd, don't you? Yeah, a little yeah. bit of a walk through some corridors and down some stairs. And he had to ask one of the old guys, like, hey, excuse me, can you tell me? And I think the guy was, like, turned around a bit annoyed, like, <laughs> who's this bothering me? Like, and then he turned around, oh, my God, it's like one of the players. Like, can you tell me how to get out onto the ground? So he literally had to be told how to get out onto the ground. That's awesome. And um, and then, obviously, that's against them, yeah, arguably the greatest one-day international side ever assembled. Mm. McGrath, Warren, uh, Gillespie. War. Uh, war, both wars. Um, Mark Taylor. Like, it was a ridiculous... Adam Gilchrist. It was a ridiculous side. Um, that would have been one of the first times two brothers played against two brothers as well. That's the right. The wars and the Holyoke. Yeah, that's right. It is, I think it might have been, yeah. Um, wow. Anyway, um, he... Um, yeah, he, like... He just absolutely took McGrath and worn to pieces, which was <laughs> really? the, and he got sixty odd or something like that off about forty balls, which back in those days was it unheard of. Just didn't of. happen, yeah. So um, I guess I didn't know what I was talking about. So <laughs> maybe yeah. he was ready. Yeah, he was, seemed like he was ready then. All of a sudden, yeah. So when did you find out that you were going to be captain of England? How does that one work? Because obviously you get the phone call saying, "Hey, you've made this side." Mm. Um, so was it the first game you captain England, or when did you start to captain England? So I played those two games versus Pakistan, and that was one year. And back in those days, you played three one-day internationals a year. So you see guys now, they've played 150 one-day internationals, they've yeah. done it in three years. Yeah, yeah. So in three years back then, you'd be probably play 20 internationals. Oh, so okay. it was just much less of it was around. So, um, so I played two one-day internationals versus Pakistan, and then I didn't go on the tour that even despite taking eight wickets in two games. <laughs> Uh, I didn't go on the because they just used to play the same side, the Test side and the One Day side. Yeah. They didn't change over, didn't have specialist teams, so I didn't go on the tour that winter. And then um, obviously you got man of that series versus Australia, and my brother got man of the match, and so we had a great series versus Australia. Um, and then we had the Champions Trophy in Dubai, the winter of that series after we played Australia. So. Mm -hmm. I'd played five one-day internationals and then they rang me up and said, listen, we um, we want you to be captain. And, hey, you don't ever turn down oh, the captain. Oh, no. <laughs> You don't turn down the captain. I wasn't ready. Yeah. I, I, well, I was ready. I was ready to captain. That's, that, that, I mean, sort of correct myself there. But I probably think for the betterment of myself, I would have had more of a chance as a player to sort of get accustomed to one-day international group before then having all the responsibilities of of captaincy yeah. and all those things for, you know, that's, you know, at the age, I think I was 23, 24, mm -hmm. um, just five one-day internationals and then all of a sudden you're captain and you're captaining, you know, the best players in the country and guys who've played 100 games for England. So um, that was, you know, we got both got uh, accelerated through the system with yeah. my brother and... Um, yeah, it was it was a sort of crazy three or four years. It was. Um, How's that phone call go back to mum and dad though? Hey, I'm going to be captain this week. <laughs> it's a bit different to when you're in the under twelves. Well, that's a, that was um, <laughs> that was a that's a funny conversation again because uh, my dad like I, mean, I think he's a very competitive guy yeah. as well. So um, they always wanted they wanted to go into university and do stuff. So um, when I rang back, I rang back home. I was obviously pretty excited and pretty confident. My dad was always he was always going to keep us like. 
Grounded. Uh, grounded, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I rang up and I was like, um, Dad, their mum was answering the phone. I said, is Dad there? I said, yeah, put him on the phone. I said, I said, to tell the angry old bastard I've just been picked to, to, um, to play for England. And he goes, well, don't get too excited. It's not fucking Australia, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's um, brought, brought me back down to earth pretty quickly. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, in 2002 was one of the worst times of your life. Mm-hmm. And we won't touch on it too much today, but mm-hmm. I know how much you love your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, ben was an amazing cricketer, an amazing human, mm-hmm. and um, sadly passed away. Yeah. Where were you? How did that happen? Um, yeah, so uh, we were, pr- we're we're a very tight family, as you probably already gathered. Yeah. Um, I still I speak to my dad every day on the f- mum and dad on the phone every day. So mm-hmm. um, even at the age now, I'm nearly fifty. So it's um, uh, we are a tight family. Uh, and I think it was the day before we were we were all in Perth, and we were, I went to be flying back to England the next day to start our season. And um, we just went out for dinner as a family. We'd always take mum and dad out for dinner the day before we flew back so we went to Perth city centre and went and had a just had a nice meal there and we we're all sitting around had a great time and we were there in um four cars and we went there so me and my wife at the time um mum and dad went in their car Ben went with his girlfriend in his car and my sister was with her boyfriend in in their car and then when we finished we all sort of went off in our own directions and um yeah my and my brother he didn't make it back so he he crashed and um and that was that was that it was like just a shock because he was only living like one kilometer from where I lived, and I got home, and then uh, my phone started ringing maybe ten minutes later, mm. and it was Dad. And I thought as soon as I saw it, I remember seeing his name flash. And I thought that's odd to be getting a phone. Yeah. They should be home by now, number one. So why am I getting a phone call off his mobile? And it was pretty late by that stage. So when I answered it, yeah, he said, you know, Ben was dead. I said, he can't be. I saw him five minutes ago yeah. or ten minutes ago. Like, So it was quite a surreal situation. And then after that was probably, yeah, the hardest period of my life. And even even like, even like to this day, like, I still find it tough. Oh, I mean, I've, I've learned to deal with it a lot better, but yeah. I'd be lying if I said I still don't find it hard and think about him a lot. So, so what did you do? Did you fly back to England? No. No, you just then I went, stayed. No, this yeah. is the only thing that matters? Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, March 23rd. Um, I was due to start captaining Surrey April the 1st. Um, and I didn't return back to the UK until end of June. So okay. I took two or three months out and just... Um, oh, I mean, that coincided also with my daughter being born. So mm-hmm. my wife was seven months pregnant at the time. So yep. uh, so we had that to consider and being there for her and trying to... Um, get everything right. I mean, I, I'm sure I made a lot of bad decisions at that st- oh, those times, but um, understandable. And then probably, the, probably one of the biggest ones was then as soon as my daughter was born and she was born, they, they it was a tough birth and they weren't sure whether she was going to live. Um, so it was just like one being hit with one thing yeah. after the other, um, and then she sort of got out of the danger danger sort of time, and I, I flew back to England on my own to, to start playing cricket. So if I look back at that, I go, wow, I probably went back too early as well. Mm. So, um, it's, um, yeah, so it was just a well, those crazy period of your life, yeah. It's really interesting because when we were in England um, many years ago now, when you got inducted into the Hall of Fame and stuff, and one of the things I remember in your speech was when you thanked them so much for 
everything to happen when your brother passed away mm-hmm. and the way that they helped you through through mm-hmm. life. And it's still something that sticks in my brain today is that, that speech and, and those things because it was so heartfelt and it was one of those things that uh, obviously the club at the time, and well, to me it sounds like the club has always looked after you. It's like you said, Absolutely. the Stewart family are the people that sort of made that club, if you like. Mm-hmm. And to me it also feels like that playing for Surrey was a, not a prouder moment than playing for England, but it's something that you... Um, hold very close to your heart. Yeah, um, it is. Um, it, it, like, I, I love Surrey. Like, it's probably the only place I've ever felt I belong. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was playing for England, I was always that that Aussie kid yeah. playing for England. Um, Come back to when you were young. Yeah. Um, the outcast. Exactly. Yeah. And then you know, and and when I was playing, I'd always be called you know by the crowds. I was always Judas or traitor or turncoat. Yeah. And how do you and, deal with that? No, I mean, you get... Do you get taught to deal with it or you just got to... No, you don't get taught. I mean, they might do now. I don't know. I mean, um, but I don't know. They have a lot of sports psychologies and stuff like that. Let's let's deal with the players. That wasn't around back then, though, was it? No, I don't think so. Um, I... I, You just... I think it's like anything. I I think you just become... You just become immune to it. Um, It's... I think I always liken it to um, you just being desensitised because... Uh, you know, like people who go and work in a morgue. Yeah. You know, and I think oh, we, we, if you and I walked in there, I'd be like, oh my God, there's yeah. dead bodies everywhere. What's going on? You know. Um, but then you see those guys that have to done it for a few months. They're, yeah, they're, they're lunch having their lunch in there, and just <laughs> you know, they're just like probably so just true. putting their putting their like subway on their sub on the top of some <laughs> dead body. Do you know what I mean? Like just that, just totally blase yeah. about it. So I think it was the same thing. You know, I was playing in front of. We played in front of the world record crowd down there in Melbourne, and I think I had ninety-five thousand people singing <laughs> Hollyoaks a wanker. My, I think my brother agreed with it at the time. It was like it's kind of like we one of your proudest moments. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so, oh, they, they know me intimately. So um, yeah, but you just kind of. I think anyone. It's not something which is unique to me or just people who play international sport. I feel anyone put in that situation for a period of time would become accustomed to it so yeah fair enough so yeah. you mentioned the um that game with the world's biggest crowd mm-hmm. so that was a test match one day international one day international so yeah. how many tests did you play for england just four just four yeah. why um i think a number of reasons i think add can't handle yeah, five well, days <laughs> yeah well that's probably the, one of the biggest reasons yeah. uh there was that uh, i'd say the main reason was yeah I definitely suited the shorter game. I'm more of an explosive player. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would T20. T20 wasn't around back then, eh? Well, it was. We played the first two years of it, but then I retired. Yeah. Um, and Before international. the big money come in. Yeah. Um, so the short, if they played 10 over cricket, that well, they, they do now as well. But yeah. um, that would the shorter the game, the better for me. Um, long game cricket, long form cricket. I could do it. I could play it, but you know, same thing. Concentrate and start looking at curving at girls in the crowd and like <laughs> losing concentration, you know, and five days is a long time to concentrate. Yeah, so. for sure. So uh, whilst I was okay at it, um, it definitely wasn't my strength. So do you enjoy the one day game more? Oh, I definitely enjoyed T20 the most, uh, okay. then one day cricket. Then t- So basically the shorter the game, the more, the the more short, explosive. And, and that's sort of the same with everything sort of in my life, like, I mean, I was always a 100-metre sprinter at school. I, mm-hmm. I was built for power, not for endurance. And then as an athlete in all my, you know, when I fought, I fought aggressively to try and win the fight early rather than take it into a long fight. So <laughs> Let's not uh, get to the second round. Yeah, exactly. That was the idea. So um, everything I've done, I've always done like that. So I just sort of, you're 
we're all designed to be suited to different things and I was probably just more suited, suited to the shorter stuff. Fair enough. So who was the best cricketer you ever played against? Wow, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, cricketer, actual cricketer, I would say Shane Warne. Yeah. Um, but he's not the best bowler ever, which is sort of like seems okay. contradicts almost. So what do you mean then? What, what constitutes the cricketer then? As cricket is the just bowler. the all-round effect on a game. Okay. So um, like an aura, was it? Well, well, just his cricket brain. So he was okay. a very good captain. I'm, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm sure he would have influenced the side, albeit him not being captain a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I have the feeling he would have had a lot of influence on the side. When you're out playing, yes, he's had a big aura. He always knew he was around. He had an excellent cricket brain. He could bat pretty well. He caught well in the slips. Um, he was always contributing and Australia with him in the side won a hell of a lot of games. Yeah, of course. Without him. Um, the best bowler I think I ever saw was Mira Lutheran. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's always that that cloud over his head. A lot of people think he throws it. I don't, I don't think he threw it, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of people do and I think that sort of detracts away from it. And I, I, don't, I always think the best players, we, we revere batsmen, but bowlers are the ones who... Who are the, who who should the be, games, yeah, really. who win the games. You need 20 wickets to win a test match. And so. what about best batsman? Um, wow, it's hard. I, I think I think the best batsman that I played against, I feel, was Tendulkar. Yeah. Did it's you just, play in India against him at all? No, I played in Dubai and okay. um, um, played in England. I played against yeah. him. Um, but... I would have said Lara. I think Lara played the better bowl as well, but I got him out quite a lot of times. So I, I got the feeling that Lara <laughs> might have had my problem. I think he just he didn't rate me as a bowler. Okay. And he just I felt that there was always that little chink in his arms. If he didn't rate you, yep, you could get him out. So if you're a backyard bowler and you're bowling at Brian Lara, you got a chance. <laughs> you got no chance with Tendulkar. He will never give you anything. Really, so Tendulkar's uh, the man. Tend well, they're both the same. They're different, but but. If ten, if Lara's focused and he's facing, the, they're both facing the best fast ball, best bowler in the world. Mm-hmm. I think Lara actually had more skill. So it's difficult. Diff, I mean, they're both pretty good players. They both get in your team. I think <laughs> <laughs> you put them in there. Yeah, they get in there. And speaking of that, you just got named in um, Surrey's. Is it Centurion team? No, no, it's the team ever, greatest team the ever. Greatest which team basically ever. Was basically hundred years. But I think yeah. it's hundred and sixty-five years. I think. Wow, like. that must be pretty proud of yourself. I, I I don't think I get proud about. You anything. really sit back and go, well, why why me? Don't exactly. Uh, I don't think I get proud about anything, but I think that thing I actually, I think like, wow, I, I, I actually blown away. Mm. Um, and to be honest, if I'm being perfectly honest, I really don't think I deserve to be in there. Um, there's but you're so in many, it. I am. You got picked I'll by take it. all these people. Yeah, I take it. I yeah. take it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not turning <laughs> it down. I'm not saying no. Take me out. But I'm 100% accepting it. But uh, I don't feel that I was that great to be in that side, uh, and especially as captain. So, um, but the thing is, it's, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you when you said that that's the place you felt like you were home. Yes, like that's where your family is. That's where your where your cricketing family. But that that's where you felt most comfortable. One hundred percent. But that doesn't guarantee you. I mean, there's a lot of people who felt that they don't get into the greatest side of all time just because you love. Oh, obviously, the place. you went all right. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aren't you look, the most I, winning I, captain in Surrey history? Yes. But well, that's got kind of something to do with I it. I would do, yeah, no doubt. I'm not look. I'm not saying that I wasn't yes, sort of in the in the in the <laughs> realm, yeah. you know, of the top fifty maybe. Um, but hey, 
they they named it the public name, but what the people want, let's give it to them. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a ceremony for that, or what's going on there? I don't know. Hey, I don't know. I literally, I I um I didn't I knew they were doing it, um because I got asked to do my one mm-hmm. uh, to pick my greater side and um who captain that? Uh, I put Alex Stewart as captain of okay. that. Okay. Um and then I um I knew they were doing it, and then one night I was just I woke up late and it was like in the middle of the night. And I don't normally wake up, I usually sleep like so well, but I woke up about two or three in the morning, I looked at my phone for some reason and I went there and it was like Surrey names its greatest side ever and then I looked and I was in there. I was like a, mate, I was like a, like a five-year-old at Christmas. I could not, I'd go back to sleep for the rest of the night. I literally didn't go back to sleep for the rest of the night. Yeah. And it was like literally I think the biggest um, compliment that anyone could pay me if I, if they said that about an English England, you know, I'd be like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. But I'd I'd have just gone back to sleep. But with Surrey, because of what they've done for me, and the love that I have for that place, that Definitely. was um, without doubt the greatest. I mean, I wasn't fortunate enough to be made, named one of Wisden's Cricket of the Year in ninety two thousand three. Two thousand three. Sorry. Um, and and that's um, that's a massive honour. That's like one of the five best players in, in, the, in world. the world that year. And that. You'd think that's a big honour, but I was like, okay, that's cool. Don't get me wrong, and, and I love it. And, and but to me, sorry, being named in that is is far bigger for me. Do you think in two thousand and three you were a better cricketer because um, you sort of engulfed yourself in that after the loss of Ben? Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, so you were I, playing for both years then? Oh, not that, not in that regard. Um, I wouldn't say I went out there and went right. I'm going to do this for Ben. That. I think, and a lot of people thought that. Mm. Uh, I didn't. I went out there, and if I'm being honest, I didn't. I did downplayed the importance of cricket in my life became less important. So okay. I put it in. It got put in perspective yep. by the death of my brother. So when I went out there to bat, the normal fear of failure that surrounds professional athletes, like, oh, I want to do well because if I don't, I might get dropped. Or yeah. you, know. you just didn't care. What, what? <laughs> and, I, and I remember saying one day, there's nothing more dangerous than a man with nothing to lose. Yeah. And when I went out to play those couple of seasons, really, well, I'm going to get a duck in perspective of what's <laughs> gone in my life. Really, yeah. It's not that big a deal. I've just lost my brother. Yeah. Um, so I had the, I completely had the fear of failure removed from me and hence why I probably had my two best seasons and then, uh, and then I retired. Why? So. Why did you retire? What was the moment you thought, actually, I'm going to take these pads off and never put them back on? Um, I don't know. You know, that's a really good question. Um, I don't even know at the time why I did it. Uh, I think it How was How many just, kids do you have then? Just one. Just the one? Yeah. Just one. Um, I think it was the whole... I'd never considered, even contemplated retirement. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, three or four things just pointed towards it. Um Injuries or no, no injuries. I was strong. I'm still strong now. Mm. I don't have. Any. I wake up every day. People go, "Why well, your body must be wrecked?" You did th- almost thirty years of professional sport, and I don't have any pain. I wake yeah. up feeling good. So, um, um, I, I, number one thing was, I felt like I needed to be back in Australia for my mum and dad after mm-hmm. my brother's uh, accident. Number two, I was financially doing well enough outside of cricket with. My property development business that me and my father had set up, and um, number three, I wasn't necessarily enjoying my cricket. It felt different. Like the ball comes through to you. I think we worked it out about you know up to a hundred times a day when you 
ball comes through to the wicketkeeper. I used to mm -hmm. field a second slip. This, the keeper would throw it to me a second slip, and yep. then I used to throw it to my brother. He used to field it gully. And then all of a sudden, it was like a, an affirmation. So every day I'd throw the ball to my brother a hundred times, underarm, yeah. ten-yard throw to him. And then all of a sudden, every time the ball would come through, I was throwing it to Ricky Clark, who was who replaced him. I love Ricky and everything like that, but Not uh, it was it was that wasn't my brother. So every time I threw it a hundred times a day, I was reminded that my brother was gone. Yeah. And um, and and yeah, just uh, it just felt like that was the time to. I just felt that was the time to go and. Yeah. And I'm impulsive, um, emotional, I'm all those things, you know, I'm aggressive, competitive, I'm like high on the spectrum for all those things and I decided that was the time to go and then I just, I just went. So, and then um, you moved back to Australia? You picked back. up your, your wife and child? Yes. And moved back to Australia? I made some more. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. were they happy? Well, was your wife at the time happy with that? Yeah, she was happy. Yeah, yeah. she was happy. Uh, I think she wanted to get back to Australia and... Um, um, so that, like, that was another factor at the time that you know, she wanted to get back. Um, I wanted to be back with my folks. Um, yeah, so... And then you had a couple more kids. A couple more kids, yeah. But then had the ups and downs of the business world. We yes. won't go too much into that. Oh, yeah, that's all good. <laughs> that's all part of the journey. Right, like, and, and that's the thing. So you come, what year did you come back to Australia? 2004. 2004. And then you lived mm. in Perth? Lived in Perth, yeah. And then you were a property developer? Yeah. And then obviously the financial crisis... Hit a lot mm -hmm. of people and mm -hmm. kicked you right in the nuts. Yeah. Um, how does it feel being a high profile? Because obviously you're you're still mm -hmm. at a high profile, mm -hmm. um, and you're on the front page of the paper, mm. saying that you've you've gone bankrupt and all this sort of stuff. How did that? How did that hit home? I've still got that newspaper. Hey, um, I've got that. I got I frame that. I put that up. Oh, yeah. um, that's all cool. It's um, it goes with the territory. Yeah. So like this is the path I chose. I chose to to do what I do and I, go, I have to live with the highs. I've been on the front page for good stuff too. Mm -hmm. So... Um, Why'd you frame the uh, that one? It's just to remind me, you know, um, that, you know, this is real, the life is real and, um, you know, this... Um, whilst I'm... When I'm going good, I just need to remember that and keep humble and if you're not humble, life will cast humbleness upon you. So um, I feel that, you know, I might have been taking things for granted a little bit there yeah. and I always feel that we know we get taught less life teaches us lessons i always say that you know and it's up to how we respond to those things 100%. that defines how successful we're going to be like there's a number of times in my life where i feel i could have just curled into the fetal position and and just given and, and hey don't get me wrong i i, I, I <laughs> did I, I did <laughs> i have but it's how long you stay there yeah, you know of like they can't, you've got to reflect on everything in life i always sort of have a process which i go through i reflect good or bad on what's happened and and own it, exist that it happened, and then then move on. What can I control? I can just control moving forward. That's all I can control. Right. There's never a better statement than that, actually owning it. Mm. I know I, I went through some tough times, as you're mm. well aware of, mm -hmm. and uh, the day I actually turned around and go, actually, that wasn't his fault, that was my fault. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that did that, that, that. I mm -hmm. fucked that up. Mm -hmm. I own it. Mm -hmm. The world lifts off your shoulders. Yeah. Well and, like, you stop blaming people and actually take responsibility and then, you and then deal with it. And you become a better person for 100%, it. 100%, mate. 100%. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I've, I've been seeing that a lot, uh, especially as a coach now. Yeah. I experienced that same thing yesterday with a kid who had some f technical flaws, which he wasn't acknowledging. And, and I said, hey, listen, no one loves... If I told you that I had three or four drinks a week um, um, two on a Friday and two on a Saturday, but I've only really done that for the last 30 years. You'd say, oh, yeah, that's great. It's interesting. 
But if I said to you, I was uh, an alcoholic for 15 years and I had to give up and now I um, had to give up, I had to overcome my addiction and, and now I'm completely clean, all of a sudden you have huge respect for me. Mm. Which is saying really you should be respecting the guy who's drawing responsibility all his yeah, life. Yeah, 100%. Um, but as humans we sort of, we're... We respect the person that can overcome their demons and their flaws and because and, uh, we all have them. Yeah. And uh, all their tribulations, if we can overcome whatever it is that gets thrown us. And, that's, that, that, and that determines how successful and how happy you're going to be in life. So, um, you know, I've had things thrown at me which hopefully other people don't have to do, but uh, I'm not on my own. There's no, but everyone, of us. <laughs> every, everyone, everyone, no, not just financially, I'm talking. No, but everything, like in know, life. We've, and we've all been through it. Yeah. We've all had lost people. We've all yeah. had known people who had illness. We had our hearts broken. Um, all these things. And like I said, it's just life casting humbleness upon you and how you go from there and how you, um, your path forward is, is what will determine how happy your life's going to be moving forward. Yeah, it's so true. And do you think from coming from the background that you've come from, coming from the the nomadic lifestyle as a kid and learning all that stuff really early and then obviously the professional athlete mm. part of your life, do you think that you can now share those things with these young kids that you're coaching? Like, Do you think mm. they listen now more because of, oh, actually that's Adam Holyoke or because they actually you start telling people your story? I don't know. Hey, that's a good question. I've never really thought of that. Um, I feel like I've been through the biggest period of growth in my life um, in the last 10 years, mm -hmm. which has probably been the hardest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How old <are> your kids? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's probably for that reason. Um, and so, obviously during that period you had a divorce as well. Yes. And that, that's never yeah, nice. No, that's not easy. Yeah. No. Uh, anyone who's been through that, you know, my sympathy to you, that's a very hard time in my life. Mm -hmm. um, but you bounce back again. Yeah, of course. But funnily enough, um, when I was going through that, I mean, and it was amic reasonably amicable. I wasn't like, I've seen some things that people have to go through. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I drew on my experiences from the other hard stuff I'd been through. Okay. So, so you learnt and you well, I'm better at, at it. <laughs> and I feel now I'm at a place now where I'm really, really at peace because I'm like, I feel like I, sometimes I say to life, what are you, you going to throw at me now? What are you going to give me? And just... I can deal with it because yeah. whatever it is I've dealt with, there's been times, like I said, curled up in the fetal position thinking, how do I get out of this? And the sun comes up. It always comes up. You can always deal with so it. So true. But you need to deal, you need to um, go back and look at the times that you've got through stuff and go, I, I remember also being curled up in the fetal position yeah. when this happened and, hey, I, I smiled and, and I rang with a spring in my step again a year or two after that. So I can do it. So mm. I, whilst I feel like shit now... I know this time will pass, so... Um, and you can only feel better than you currently do. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's exactly right. And I just, sometimes I just feel like you put my hands out and just say, put my handcuffs on, do my time, I know I'm going to be feeling shit for a bit, but in time it'll be good, it'll pass. So I draw on that strength of all those other, and then now yeah. I, I feel really in a strong position because I feel, you know, God forbid and God help that I don't want anything to happen to my kids, but other no, than that, I'm like, not. well, you want... What do you want to give it me now? Throw me whatever yeah. you want. I don't, I'll deal I with it. I can handle anything. I'll deal with it. So 
Uh, there's my favourite book is the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Yeah, right, and what yeah. he talks about is there's one bucket of fucks that you give in your whole life, yeah. and you realise halfway through your life you've given half of them away. Yeah. So then you realise, okay, I'm only going to give a fuck about these things, which yeah. is my family, my friend, all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting. When I read that, it was like it's so true. Mm, <laughs> now yeah. I'm actually a lot more oh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I just keep throwing it at us. We can we can keep batting it away. And I say it's all relative as well, like. Um, like you got kids, like yep. you remember when you, they were like one or two years old and you take their favorite toy off them. Yeah. They go to pieces. <laughs> they go to pieces. That's the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their <laughs> life. That's the worst thing that happened. And then that's as we go true. through life, things get harder. Like if you take, um, your favorite thing off you now, you wouldn't even bat an eye nah. because you know, I'll get it back or yeah. I'll do, you know. well, so we, we develop resilience. Like then, you know, when my brother died, that was the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life. But everything you develop strength and resilience from those things and then they need to throw harder worse things at you in future otherwise you've got the strength of that to deal with it just as if you know your kids now you take the toys with them and they don't whatever and now you're teaching young cricketers that same same thing yeah aren't you how, how the resilience do you find that when you when you um coach the afghan team the mm -hmm. afghanistan team mm -hmm. like some of the stuff those people must have went through yeah must make you sort of feel oh wow actually we haven't got it that bad did oh. you learn lots during that stage well yeah i mean they have a different resilience i mean i'm, I'm not sure if the people listening are aware that they they tried to kill us while we we're over there there was mm -hmm. a terrorist attack on us um and nine of our security were killed so um but i looked into the eyes of the of my players they were cold. I mean, they they've seen. Didn't bother them. The, well, it did bother them, but they they just could deal with it. Wow. Was like, it was like I said, they were desensitized for it. For me, I was like, literally, did, did you did, did you hear that that bomb went off fifty meters away from yeah. us? Uh, I was like, you know, like a, a kid who's seen something for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I haven't seen too many bombs exploding no, fifty exactly. meters away from and me. So, for them, it's like a regular day of life. So, um, you know, I remember leaving there and. And all the windows were blown out of the building, and there's body parts everywhere. And to me, I was just like like a wide-eyed little kid. Mm. And these kids were just sitting there. They're like, didn't bat an eyelid. They'd seen it all before. So, um, yeah, it's it's again just another example of yeah, yeah. you adapt to your environment. So, what got you back into cricket? Because as I said at the start of this, when I when we spoke many years ago, it was like how you didn't want to be involved. Yeah. Yeah, and then you did again. Pins in my exactly, eyes yeah. yeah. It's uh, one of those things I hate. You got then you went in the ring and got yourself punched in the head a few more times, <laughs> and and yeah. you became um, your professional boxing debut, and mm. and then obviously the MMA fighting and stuff like that. What mm. made you get back in love with cricket? Um, I think it was realizing that I wanted to be involved in competing. Like, uh, I don't. I still don't know if I love cricket itself. You love sport. I love sport. I love yeah. com I love competing. Like I said, if if we know there were two flies walking up a wall, I'd say, like, oh, you know, which one's going to win? If that one wins, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's I'm just like that. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something that I like. Mm -hmm. uh, I just love competing and just being around teams. I love being around sports teams. Uh, the banter that flies around is is great. And um, hey, you know, I'm nearly fifty now, so it's like. I don't know. Is your band a lot better than the young kids? 
Oh, of course. <laughs> 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 They've got like some really bad banter. <laughs> <laughs> it's basic. They've got basic <laughs> stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you tell them that every day. Yeah, as well. of course. Yeah, <laughs> got to remind them. They can't compete with them physically anymore, so you've got to mess with them <laughs> mentally. Yeah. So you're coaching the Bulls now, the Queensland Bulls. Yeah, uh, assistant coach. Yeah, yeah. And what are you doing there? What's your what's your sort of role? So it's a it's a sort of a multi-purpose role. Um, I'm the head coach for the under 17s. Mm-hmm. We have a two-week tournament each year. Um, so I prepare the under-17s for that. Uh, I'm the assistant coach. We leave on Sunday to go and play in the Nationals for under-19s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the assistant coach for the Bulls. But I sort of the main focus for me is working with the batsmen. Okay. So, so it's batsmen, not bowling. Yep. Yeah, mainly. But, uh, look, hey, they, they sort of drag you where they need you. So, yep. um, you know, if the batsmen say, hey, can we get um, smokes into work with the batting then you know like i've done a lot of a, a lot but a bit of work with joe burns and manus mm-hmm. Shane over the last they're going, right. so they're going good um, i hope you put your hand up but yeah that was me no, no no i can't do that because um you know there's a lot of people that go to to dino like yeah. there's a lot of co- i'm not the only person there obviously they have their own mentors they're probably a lot of them, if they're like me and most of them are they they get off their dad who's often the one who's mm-hmm. helped them a lot growing up um and then other coaches that they come across. So I, I can't take credit for that on my own, uh, for sure. Sure. I mean, there might have been a couple of things which I've helped with. Yeah. But, um, so those two guys are going well. And then, then a couple of the other Bulls players as well. So, um, yeah, so... Are you involved in the Big Bash at all or is it just... Not Big Bash, no. Okay. That's a separate, yeah. So what, what do you see yourself doing? Uh, where, where's next from, from a coaching point of view? I don't know. Hey, I'm just, um, I'm just enjoying helping people at the moment yeah um i'm en- enjoying being around competitive sport being around a team um mm-hmm. i'm invo- I'm, I'm enjoying schooling these youngsters in banter so uh <laughs> it's uh it's uh it's just and it's just a period of my life which i'm enjoying with my kids yeah i'm watching them grow up and trying to how quick does that go too fast it's unbelievable isn't it someone needs to slow that thing down yeah. it's like uh, my daughter just started driving. Uh, I, she's got her own car, so yeah. uh, it was probably about. I was working with England up until a couple of years ago, and oh, I went, she, she, when she went for her L, so mm-hmm. sixteen, and she said, "Dad, can you take me out? I'm allowed to to drive now." I was like, yeah. "What?" So we were just, you know, you're just driving. And you, I'm doing it now. Yeah, you, I was sitting there. I was sitting there in the. Um, in the car beside her looking and then i had a, i don't know if you've done this but i looked over and i was like holy shit it was like last it was like surely it was only last week i was changing your nappies 100 percent, isn't it surreal mm. so um and then i looked and i've got these two little idiots in the back my two <laughs> little boys and i'm like holy shit i've got to get back and i've got to i've got to come back i've got to spend time because this is time is yeah. precious and it's going to be gone and those guys are going to be driving soon so yeah, yeah. i got to be back Look out road though. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so i've got to get back and i've got to spend time with them and so um, do you see you and your boys and then go, oh, dear? Well, no. My middle boy, like I said, was a smart pretty, he's smart. <laughs> he's, he's nothing like me. He's way too... He's, it's actually quite funny. The dynamic of our family is um, my youngest kid suggests um, something stupid that we do and my eldest child then suggests something sensible that we do. Yeah. I sort of like go, oh, which one of these kids is... And then I think I find myself <laughs> edging towards the one doing something stupid and then... The middle child goes, Dad, that's just immature. So the um, middle child rules the roost. Well, no, he's just the most sensible. I didn't say he didn't actually go on and do it. We sometimes we do it. Um, 
I love yeah. how you turn to your kids for the advice. I did exactly the oh. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then that one would be heaps more fun though. And that one we're getting more trouble off mum if we did that one. Oh, what do we do? <laughs> it sort of yeah. makes a big difference. To well, we had a, like, the other day I was driving along and um, the eight-year-old, he's like, he's a fully, full nutter. So he was um, singing um, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Cock, Jingle Bell Cock. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what are you singing, mate? That's not how the song goes. But he's laughing. He's thinking it's hilarious. And then we drove past this sign, and this is my elder, more wise, intelligent son. He, he says, and there was a sign up saying, National Road Safety Week, drive safely this week. And he said, sort of like quite inquisitively, why wouldn't you just drive safe every week? Very cool. So I thought, wow, he said we've got complete, whole opposite <laughs> children here. And I was thinking, I wonder which one... I'm more like like that. And then about another five minutes later, I was singing Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Cop. And I went, okay, I know which one I'm like. So it was, um, yeah, that's uh, just... Oh, well, i got a very stupid dynamic. My oldest boy just comes out with random facts. Yeah. And you sit there going, I, I don't didn't know that. really need to know that. <laughs> the other day, he turns around and says, hey, mum, we're at the dinner table. She goes, yes, mate. And he goes, did you know my teacher's mum's the same age as you? Mm. That was it, though. There was, was no. That was just a random fact. So he's not going to be an after dinner speaker. <laughs> and my, my, my wife sat there and went, and I like nearly wet myself. And she's going, "What are you laughing?" I said, "There's no context to the thing. It was yeah. just a random." Is it fact. the end of the story, <laughs> or is, is there more? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm wetting myself because that's just what he does, and that's him. Yeah. Whereas the other boy would have like, oh, "Mom, you know what? <laughs> You're as old as her, yeah. Mom." Yeah. There's a bit of context. One hundred percent. My. The way I love to finish these things is quick fire questions, which I know you mm -hmm. hate because we've already spoke about that earlier. Mm -hmm. What's your greatest achievement in life? My kids. Who is the person or people that have the biggest influence? My dad. Favourite food? All of them. All of the food. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite food, though? All of it. Like, all I literally eat, eat everything. everything. <laughs> I, look at the, you don't get like this without like... <laughs> I'm hearing you. Yeah. Favourite song? Oh. God, I'm, I'm, I don't have a song. My genre at the moment is reggae. I'm big into my reggae. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know why. It's just it's coming into... You need into... Some dreadlock. Oh, you can't do that. <laughs> no, that's right. yeah. Favourite uh, place in the world? Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think I've been there yet. I reckon it's something... I'm going to say somewhere like the Maldives or something like that. I'm going to say Bali. I haven't been to Bali, but I keep seeing... It looks like a good place now. It does look nice. It looks good now. I haven't been there but for like 30 years, so I'm going to say there. Okay, and what's next for Adam Holyoke? Um, just keep on doing what I'm doing and just enjoying it. I'm just at peace, so just keep doing what I'm doing, just going along. Right, this is the most relaxed I've ever seen it, and it's yeah. so good just to see you so happy with life and yeah. everything. And mm. as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much for coming to see me. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Hey, guys, thanks for listening, and what an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels. Search for Podfire on Instagram and Facebook or find me at BJ Macker and look out for all our Podfire podcasts. <laughs>